So we're connecting uh, grace and works. And um, in the Bible, they're connected a lot, but in uh, current theology, often they're made enemies of each other. But they're not at all. They're very compatible. They work together. Uh, grace is um, important for works. Now, <clears throat> I have a story that I told about two weeks after we, I started pastoring when we were up in the grade school gym. And uh, it's probably my most famous story. I haven't told it for a couple of years because I had up to that time probably told it every year or so. And uh, some people don't like it. But there's some of you who are relatively new and have never heard my most famous story. And it illustrates, it's such a great illustration for this point this morning. I'm going to start with it, and then we'll use that throughout the uh, presentation to illustrate this whole issue of grace and works. So if you've heard it, just laugh politely or groan appropriately as I tell this story. When uh, on the dairy, one of the things that happened periodically was a cow would die. And now when, they, uh, when I was younger, we would tow the cow out to the rock pile that was a spot that was a bunch of rocks. We would pick rocks up out of the pasture, and we put them all in the same spot. And so it was uh, not farmable, so we would tow the dead cow out to the rock pile, and it would just sort of, uh, the birds would peck on it and eat it, and the cows would eat it. And we had sighted in one of our rifles for that distance. It was 510 yards from our back porch to the rock pile, and the coyotes would come in. And so in the morning, right at daylight, we would get the binoculars out and check, see if there was a coyote there. And then if there was, we'd get the rifle and we'd shoot the coyote. Back then, there was a bounty on them. I think it was 25 bucks. The sheep farmers, I think, got together. Somebody did put a bounty on it. And so it was just a great way to make some extra money uh, to shoot the coyote. And so you like to be the first one up in the morning to go milk to be able to see it. Well, then they, you know how it is, uh, environmental stuff. They decided that you couldn't just drag a dead cow up on the rock pile and leave it. You had to bury them. And so that became the new thing to do. So that was my job. I would tow the dead cow out in the field and take a shovel and dig a hole and push the cow in the hole and cover it up with dirt uh, to bury the cows. Now, I'm a teenager, and so the question is, how deep am I going to make the hole when I bury the cow? The answer is just deep enough. <laughs> and so I don't know if you know this, but dead cows will deteriorate, will rot and and so the space that's filled up by the cow, you cover it up with dirt, becomes less because it all turns into slime and muck filled with maggots that take about half the space that it originally took. So if you only put an inch of dirt on top of the cow to start with, and that's fine until the cow goes down and down and down. Uh, I was walking through our field, and I walked across one of the graveyards, as it were, of the dead cow, and I fell in the hole. And I went uh, clear to the bottom. And as soon as I went down, I had this thought, I have just died and gone to hell. The smell was just absolutely overwhelmed me. Uh, the soup that was down there filled up my rubber boots. And it, the smell per permeated my skin. And I managed to get out of the hole, go back to the house. And my mother just threw a fit. She wouldn't let me even close to the house until I took all my clothes off and got hosed down by the hose out in the barnyard. And so... Why did I only dig the hole just barely deep enough? It takes a lot of work to dig a hole with a shovel that deep. I mean, that is a ton of digging. So backhoe. With a backhoe, you sit on the seat and you push a little lever. This big arm goes out and it scoops up a big pile of dirt and you move it around and you, move, you hit the lever again and it goes out and you dig this monster hole. You can go to China. Would you just sit there, move the lever? So, dig a hole with a backhoe, dig a hole with a shovel. Backhoe back every time. Backhoe every time. Now, so the difference between digging the hole with the shovel and digging it with the backhoe is the difference between God's grace and no grace. <laughs> so I'll make that reference numerous times. God's grace does, does not eliminate the need for me to make a choice. Push the lever forward, push the lever back. Push this lever, push that lever. There was a bank of them, about six levers. 
they all did different things. So I didn't know which lever to push, which lever to pull, but I sat there, made choices, made decisions, and as I did that, what I did was amplified hundreds of times over, and I've dug this great big hole with this amazing power. So some reason people tend to think that grace eliminates the need for choosing, for acting, the need to be responsible, the need to be diligent. It doesn't at all. What it does is it amplifies what we do many, many times over. And uh, so now that you've got that picture in your mind, don't lose that. Number one in your notes, grace is not the freedom to do what we want, but the power to do what God wants. I gave you that last week. Uh, I just believe that if you look at all the references to grace, that's a much better definition than is normally given. The average individual, when you say, what's grace? Well, it's unmerited favor. That is, you know, you don't deserve it, obviously, but and it's just power, it's freedom, it's forgiveness, and it's, uh, it doesn't make any difference what you do in regards to it. Second Timothy 2.1, you therefore, my son, be... Oops, I've got to do my stuff here. You therefore, my son, be strong... Be strong, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So that's a command. Be strong in the grace. How are you going to keep that command? Hebrews 13, 9, do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. Strange teachings. What that is, that means that if you eat spinach, you will be strong. I heard that when I was a kid. Popeye told me every week, eat spinach, you'll be strong. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. The heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which you, those who are so occupied uh, were not benefited. Oops, I forgot. Okay. So Paul says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, he got to go to heaven, take a tour of heaven. Uh, I've often pleaded with God to let me do that just for five seconds and make a huge difference, but so far, no deal. Because of the surpassing greatness for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, exalting myself, becoming prideful, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. A thorn in the flesh uh, means probably, I think probably he was uh, near blind, uh, made several reference to not being able to see well, caused probably from malaria. Uh, but something was an issue in his health. A thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. That was given to him by God to keep me from exalting myself. So when I was diagnosed with Parkinson's, I basically said, Lord, I'm taking this to be similar to Paul's thorn in the flesh. You're doing this to me to keep me from becoming prideful. And uh, so I would just soon you not do that, but... Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times. Paul said, I prayed and prayed and prayed that it'd go away, that I would be able to, if it was a blindness, I'd be able to see. I wouldn't need somebody dictating my notes for me, writing my letters for me. Uh, uh, but he didn't answer it. And instead he said, my grace, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in weakness. And so what Paul was saying, my weakness is causing me to grow in grace because I depend on God. And so I've said that so many times Lord, I am depending on your grace to give me strength for what I lack in real life and physically speaking. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. That the power of Christ may dwell in me. Stephen, full of grace and power. Full of grace and power. Scripture uh, links grace with power repeatedly over and over again. Number two, the classic definition of grace, undeserved favor, not entirely accurate. There is a requirement on our part to receive God's grace, which is humility. So we're saved by grace. What prompted that grace to come into our life? Me saying, I can't save myself. I can't be good enough to make it on my own strength. I need God to do it for me. So if When I talk about evangelism, I I talk about ABC, ABC. First one, admit I can't save myself. That's the first step. So humility is saying, I can't. I need help. And so when we are humble, then God gives us grace. He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. So 
Grace has a requirement, has a condition, and that is humility. So my saving grace, I can't make it to heaven on my own. Ask people repeatedly, are you going to go to heaven when you die? Well, I don't know. I think I will. I've been good. I've, been tri I've tried. I followed the golden rule. So that's the natural response. My effort, my good works will get me there. Uh, and grace, saved by grace, but there's a requirement. Humility says, I can't do it. I can't make it on my own. And living life with God's grace is the same. We have humility saying, I can't do it without God's strength in my life. And so when we have humility saying to him, I can't, then God will give us the grace to make it happen. Number three, humility is expressed by recognizing that we can't save ourselves. We can't live the Christian life successfully without God's help. <clears throat> Often we say that giving lip service to that statement, but it doesn't, isn't reality. We don't really believe it to be true. But I can't save me. I can't be good without God's strength. The more I acknowledge that, the more grace, the more help I get. And so every morning I make commitments. I say, today, Lord, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And then when I conclude those I wills, I say, I can't keep these commitments at my strength. Would you grant me your grace, your strength to be able to fulfill these commitments to you? And so I ask every day uh, for God's strength and grace. Second Corinthians 3, 4 through 6, one of my memory verses, such confidence we have. Confidence, I can do it. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. Our adequacy is from God. Our adequacy is from God who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. So my adequacy comes from Him. My strength comes from Him. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Number four, humility is expressed by praying and asking for help often and regularly. So I teach and preach over and over and over again, practice the basic disciplines of the Christian life. And some will respond and say, that's legalism. I say, no, 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 no. All that is is taking the backhoe lever and pushing it. God has conditions attached to receive grace. And the disciplines are grace activators. When we do the basic disciplines of the Christian life, God then gives us grace because we do it. And prayer is one of those disciplines that the more we pray, the more grace we receive. Um, Hebrews 4.16, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. The throne of grace. That's, that's where Jesus sits. Confidence in that he will hear and he will answer because of our coming to him. We don't have to worry about him saying, Ah, no, sorry, you've been here too much. So that we may receive mercy and find grace. Why? To help. To help in time of need. Go to the throne of grace with confidence. The throne of grace, that's where we get grace, by asking. Help. And he gives it to us. Major area of humility is recognizing that God gives us his strength from and through other people. So pride, this is an area of which the average American Christian suffers tremendously. We don't think we need other people. I had a guy send me an email here a couple of weeks ago about goals. He said, I've written goals like you've told me, uh, and I can't keep them. I just fail miserably at them. And I said, two problems are almost always the case for people who write goals and don't accomplish. And the first, they never read them after they write them. And the second is that they try to keep them on their own without help from others. I said, I share my goals with a bunch of people and ask them to hold me accountable. I have people I meet with every week on a ba regular basis and report on how I'm doing on my goals and get feedback from them. Basic principle of the Bible is that we get grace from God, but it's always through others. We get grace from God, but it's always through others. I get gas in my car, but it comes from a gas pump, and somebody else pumps it. Uh, and so God gives grace, but it's not direct. It would be nice. I'd sure like it if I could live the Christian life without putting up with you all. <laughs> but I can't do it. I need you 
And the more uh, that I have you in my life, the more successful I will be living my life. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace. I give you grace, you give me grace, and together we will do well living the Christian life, but it requires an attitude of humility in that I say that I need you. So we who are many are one body, one church, JBC. We're part of a church family, individually members one of another. <clears throat> Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace, the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. And so we've been given these gifts, these abilities, and we need each other to give those, that grace to us. Six, we are saved by grace. We live the Christian life successfully by grace. God gives us grace to grow in character and to do good deeds and to serve him. So when we talk about grace and works, we eliminate, uh, limit grace. Most individuals that struggle with this connection, they see grace, yeah, for by grace we're saved, period, end of story. It's not the end of the story. We begin with grace, we live by grace. It fills every area of our life. And so grace and works are intricately tied together as much as food and energy are. <clears throat> God is able to make all grace, notice the alls and able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. For every good deed. You'll have an abundance for every good deed because you have grace abounding in you. God gives me grace so that I can have an abundance for every good deed. God puts his will for our life in us. He prompts us. He gives us desires and dreams. That's grace. So grace is a big word. It's a big word. It has lots of aspects to it. And the beginning aspect is God says, go, go. You can do it. He puts in me a desire to do something. He puts in me a dream. He puts in me a want to. It comes from him. Uh, those dreams, that will that is put in me. Uh, that's his grace that does that. For it is God who is at work in you. God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's at work in me to will. That is, he puts in me a desire. He prompts me. He gives me dreams. He gives me aspirations and desires. Now, you can do one of two things with those promptings that God puts in you. You can ignore them or you can pursue them. To ignore them is to receive God's grace in vain. Pursue them when God put it there, His will. I mean, you're guaranteed that you'll have success because He'll continue to give you grace to accomplish the promptings, the will, the desire, the dreams that He puts inside of you. <clears throat> I rose, Nehemiah. I rose in the night, I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem, what my God was putting into my mind to do, to do for Jerusalem. So, what is that? It's grace. What is God putting into your mind to do, to accomplish with your life? Those thoughts, those promptings, those dreams are grace. God gives you something to do. He communicates it to you, puts it in you in the form of a desire. It's God who is at work in you, both the will and to work for his good pleasure. There was no animal with me except the animal which I was riding Isaiah 30, 21, your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it whenever you turn to the right or to the left. So is he talking about physical ears there that God's going to communicate to us with? Uh, possibly, but most often it's our spiritual ears. You will hear a voice prompting, do this, go here, don't do that. Uh, it's the work of God in our life as he guides us through desires and promptings and dreams and thoughts that pop into our head. The tricky part is discerning his voice from the world, the devil, and our own flesh. It's not easy, but it's very doable as you pursue his will, as you listen to the promptings inside of you, as you write uh, and journal, as you make goals, you can become very good at discerning the promptings, the dreams, the desires that God puts in you so that you pursue His will. Now, that's a great place to be because it increases confidence tremendously. If God tells me to do it, I'll be able to accomplish it. 
And uh, by the way, the best place to learn to sense his promptings is in corporate prayer. This next week is the five days of prayer. Great place to get tuned in to God's promptings in your life. As we work at it, our spiritual ears will become more in tune with God's voice. That's spiritual maturity. Uh, we just grow in our familiarity with God. If you blindfold me, put me on a chair, and six of you gather around and start telling me how to go someplace, all at the same time, I'll get totally confused. But if one of those people is my wife, I will pick her voice out of all the others very easily because I recognize her voice and I can zero in on hers. So you've got all these voices going on in your head, the devil, the world, your flesh, and also God prompting. And if you get close to God, read his word, spend time in prayer, it won't be that long before you'll be able to pick his voice out of all the other clutter and jabberings going on in your head. He then expects that we will choose, we will set goals, we will act. So the more you respond to God's promptings, the more he will prompt. The more you respond to God's promptings, the louder those promptings will be because you are obedient, you're responsive to what he says. <clears throat> Sherry, my daughter gave me something to do yesterday in our house. She would do that periodically and I've encouraged her, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it. And so she said, Dad, I have a, a job to add to your list of things that you've not yet done. <laughs> I said, what, what, what I didn't get done? And so she told me of three things on the list over the last several months that I've not yet done. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one too. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, that one totally slipped in my mind. Uh, so she's not inclined to give me new things for the list because I've got so many things left that I haven't yet done, but this new one was fairly important, so it gave her a chance to remind me of the old ones, and so I'm feeling a little guilty over not doing it. So God's the same way. You don't rep respond to what he gives you. He's not going to give you more. Pretty soon you'll not get any promptings from him, and you become a real dull person after that, just going through the motions, doing what everybody does. God expects that we will work with him diligently. God expects that we will work with him diligently. So grace is not me sitting on the couch watching television while God does it all. It's a partnership. He prompts, gives me a desire, gives me a, a dream, and then when I begin to pursue it, he gives me the power to do it. Push the backhoe. Just move the lever, and you've got all kinds of power that comes from God. <clears throat> By the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me did not prove vain, useless. I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. The grace of God with me, with me. That's a partnership deal. God gives grace and I respond. I move the lever and God amplifies it many times over. Do you know that if we don't really understand things, we think, tend to think that moving those levers is a huge job. Oh, man, I've worked so hard today. Move that lever, move that lever, pull that one. Man, alive. See, we don't really have anything to compare it with. It isn't until you back up and maybe not until we get to heaven we realize how little we really did and how much God really did in response to the decisions and the choices we made. But the more we do, the more God does. It's a partnership deal. And working together with him, working together with him, working. See that word work? That's a good word. Working together with him. We urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. You receive the God, grace of God in vain by doing very little and saying, ah, I don't have to work. Uh, I'm saved by grace. We're way past that point. Now we're into living, glorifying, bearing fruit, doing something with our life that matters. <clears throat> For this purpose also I labor, I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me. Ooh, move that lever. Wow, that's so hard work. Got to move that lever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Whew. I dug a big monster hole. It was a lot of work, but I got her done. When we respond to the grace given to us, God will give us more and more and more and more and more. I thought as I was writing the notes, how many more shall I put in there? 
So God gives and we respond, he gives more. We respond, he gives more. We respond, he gives more. That's just the way he works. God works for us, the followers of Jesus. Good works for us, the followers of Jesus, not just obeying the rules, it's bearing fruit for God. So if we ask people, just do a little survey, what's it mean to do good works for God? Uh, be nice. Um, you know, it's mostly, yeah, be good, be nice. It, see, there's a whole new picture of it when we get into the body of, in the body of Christ in the New Testament. It's beyond just being a nice person. It's doing something that matters, doing something that makes a huge difference in the lives of others. Influencing people, other people, to be followers of Jesus, uh, fully devoted followers of Jesus. We make a difference in the lives of other people by what we do. <clears throat> I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That means he puts you on the bench. If you don't bear fruit, you get put on the bench. He takes away every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. That doesn't mean that he just makes life bad. It means that he farms us. He does whatever is needed so that we can bear more fruit. <clears throat> you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. They gather them and cast them into the fire. They're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Much fruit. Fruit. That's things that you do that motivate, stir up, influence other people to follow Christ and to serve him with your life. It's things that you do that matters. <clears throat> fruit are those things that we do that benefits, blesses, influences others to live fully, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Results are eternal. So it'd be fairly easy at this point to, uh, to say, ask yourself, how much fruit have I borne? What difference have I made? What influence have I exerted in the lives of other people? You might think, well, I just haven't had the chance. That's not true. God prompts us, puts thoughts in us, gives us dreams, opens up doors, and often we ignore them because we're busy, because we're timid, because we're indifferent, we're lukewarm, all kinds of reasons why we don't follow through on the promptings that God puts in us. Uh, but there is no one as a believer who hasn't had many opportunities to bear fruit influence people forever. Once you take the step, one push on the lever, then God opens up doors and he provides the power, the resources, everything needed. It's not an issue of education or talent or ability. It's simply an issue of responding to the promptings that he puts in us. And as we do that, then he gives us more and more and more. <clears throat> Jesus is our supreme example and model of what it means to work hard and bear much fruit. So we want to be like him, do what he did. And one of the things about Jesus is he was a very, very active. He was always serving, always influencing, always healing, always providing, always teaching continually with his life. In fact, it was declared at the end of John, if everything Jesus did was written in a book, the world couldn't contain them all. Um, that was probably in three small years. Jesus said to them, my food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Work is a good word. It's in the Bible a lot. My food, that which fills me with energy, is to do his will, to accomplish the work, his, his work. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. <clears throat> I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Ah, oh, I want so much to be able to say at the end of my life, standing before Jesus, or to hear him say, you accomplished everything that I gave you to do. It's like God has a to-do list for me and they're all checked off when I get there. It's going to be sad to get there and find this list of things that I didn't do. I mean, Sherry has only three things on her list. 
I would hate to have God have a list with dozens of things on there. Yeah, I gave you this, and this, 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 and this, and this, and this. Didn't get any of it done. I want to be able to say, I accomplish all the work that you gave me to do. God desires good works from us. Our good works please him very much. Our kids can grieve us terribly or they can grant us great pleasure. Um, and we are the same with God. We can grieve him. The Bible talks about crucifying Christ afresh by the way we live. Or we can bring him great pleasure. Uh, he is filled with joy over how we live our life and how we act. Philippians 2.29, Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, old men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, the work of Christ. I mean, he put forth so much, he almost died from it, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So that you will walk in a manner worthy, worthy, worthy of the Lord to please him, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, bearing fruit, every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Have a reputation. This is... Uh, uh, Talking about widows, uh, well, I'm going to skip that one. We'll come back to it. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful, useful, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Good work. Let your light shine before men, Jesus speaking, in such a way that they may see your good works, your good works, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, Jesus speaking, he will do also greater works, greater works than Jesus. We have the potential to do because of the Spirit of God living in us. Greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Okay, back to the widow one. I, uh, a widow is not to be put on the list only if, she is, uh, only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, if she has devoted herself to every good work. You know what people would say today? Legalism. You don't want to require all that. Not my idea. I didn't write it. Struck them to do good. That's written to a pastor. This is what I'm supposed to do. Instruct you to do good, to be rich in good works. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing in need of daily food and one of you says to them, go, peace, be warmed and be filled, yet do, you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Someone may well say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without the works. I will show you my faith by my works, with my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, the demons believe. And I shudder. Are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? So we're not talking about uh, something that's uh, oppressive, that's a load. We're talking about pushing the lever on the backhoe, uh, making a choice. Because once we make the choice, once we make a step, God does the work. I mean, he that's grace, is his power to do his will in our life. And so when we say, bear fruit, bear much fruit, it's not like, oh, man, just move the lever a little more. Just make a few more choices. Once you make the choice, once you step in the direction of obedience, God supplies the power. And then it's an adventure. It's a ride worth taking. And so this word work is a good word. It's a good word. We're doing something with our life that matters. God prompts us. God leads us. God puts the dreams in us. We make a step in the direction of obedience, and he fills with power. He opens up the doors. He provides the resources. It's not tough, but it does require obedience on our part to make it happen. <clears throat> I'm going to move on here. 17, we're rewarded for all eternity for good works. You know the cool thing about the judgment seat of Christ is that he prompts us, he puts the dream in us, and then he gives us the power to do it. 
He gives us the resources to do it. He gives us the help to do it. And then when we get to heaven, He gives us the reward for doing it. Wow, what kind of deal is that? God does it all, then we get the reward. So we still had to push the lever. We still had to respond. We still had to obey. Uh, and once we do that, He prompts us. He gives us the will. He gives us the, the desire. He gives us the dreams. And then, okay, and then He grants us the power. But we kind of want God to do it first. And then, once we see that He's done it, we'll just step in. I don't know. He's going to require us by faith to make a choice to obey and then he responds to our obedience with grace and the more we do the more we get it's just a great way to live once you start moving and doing something and having dreams now if any man builds on the foundation with gold silver precious stones wood hay straw each man's work ah that's a good word will become evident for the day, that's the day we stand before Jesus at the end of our life, we'll show it because it is to be revealed with fire. The quality, the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work, which he has built on it, that's the church, remains, he will receive a reward, an eternal reward from Jesus. If any man's work is burned up, that means it wasn't, it was selfish, uh, didn't influence other people. He'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved because we're saved by grace by faith but he'll be saved through fire that is you get to heaven with no reward smelling like smoke personally I want a boxcar full I want a bazillion rewards I don't know if it's right attitude or not but I would like to have more rewards than Matt Bain <laughs> we'll just see therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding abounding in the work the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain, that means you're going to get rewarded for it. All comes back. <clears throat> if you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear. Fear always has to do with the fact that there's an accountability. There's a day of accountability. At the end of our life, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of our life. Number 18, good works are basic proof that we're genuinely saved. Now, that's not intended to be an impressive thing. We're not proving anything. But it's important that we have some kind of, you know, you don't want to stand before Jesus and find out that you're not saved. Because, you, you, oh, wait, okay, let me go back, Lord. No, sorry, it's too late. Jesus said, many will stand there and he will say to them, depart from me. Depart from me. I don't have a clue who you are. You don't want that to happen. You don't want that to happen. So this is not a have to thing. It's a sort of, who am I? Am I really in the family of God? Ask yourself the question, do I have these promptings, these desires, these dreams to do something that matters, to make a difference? Um, it's just a basic indicator that you're changed from the inside. And that's important. It's not a requirement, but it is an indicator <clears throat> so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out. Work. There's a cool word again, work, huh? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is God who is at work in you, both the will and to work for his good pleasure. We bring pleasure to God. For by grace, this is the famous verse, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. But we are his, this next verse, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So we've been saved not by works, but for works. Therefore, uh, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. People today say, uh, my parents were Christians. I went to church. I live in America I must be a Christian. That's like what they said. Abraham was our father. We're Jews, so we're saved. I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Acts is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Bear good fruit. 
You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. You're born again. You're in the family of God. He will prompt you. He will direct you, and he will give you the grace to do it and to accomplish it. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. You will know them by their fruits. Either make the tree good and its fruit bad, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Okay, I've got enough there. I'm going to move on to the next point. 19, God is glorified by our good works. He is glorified. We glorify him by the life that we live. That means people see him in us. They see him in us. They're attracted to him by us, by what we do. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. 20, we prove that we are disciples of Jesus by our much fruit. What's a disciple of Jesus? Follower, a servant. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That was his invitation to the disciples. Follow me, follow me, follow me. Fully devoted followers is the word that I use, a disciple of Jesus. So a disciple of Jesus is one who follows. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove, you prove to be my disciples by the fruit that you bear. The major means of our character growth is our pursuit of good works. We want to grow to become like Jesus in character. So let me remind you again, this is not doing what you don't want to do. It's doing the desires that God puts in you. He will will, he will prompt, he will give you desires and aspirations and dreams. But the problem is, is that we don't think we can do it, so we don't try. It seems too big, so we don't even give it a little bit of effort. If it's from God, if God puts in Nehemiah to rebuild the wall, he puts in your mind, your heart to do something, and then once you move, move the lever, God grants the power. He grants the resources. You're just going along for the ride, as it were, but you have to decide. You have to choose or nothing happens. A lifestyle of following the basic Christian disciplines of pursuing good works and uh, disciplines of pursuing good works and much fruit of setting goals. Um, and working very hard is not legalism, but discipleship. It's only possible by God's grace. So as I think I told you before, I've come to the point where legalism is my least favorite word because people throw it up all the time. I don't have to read the Bible every day. That's legalism. I don't have to pray every day. That's legalism. No, it's grace. Because as you do that, God gives you strength. He guides you. He prompts you. He puts in you his dreams for your life. <clears throat> A lifestyle. Uh, let's see. Am I going the wrong way? Uh, did I go too fast? Okay, sorry about that. Legalism, but discipleship. Okay, there we go. I'm back where I'm supposed to be. You did not choose me. I chose you. Jesus speaking to his disciples. I chose you, appointed you, that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would remain. I chose you. I appointed you. Why? So that you would bear fruit. So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. So prayer and grace go right together. They go right together. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, <clears throat> they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God on the day of visitation. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, 
Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Dead works, that means useless works, selfish works, worldly works. The grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deeds and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. He saved us so that we might be zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort. That's what I'm supposed to do to you. Speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Number 23, another aspect of God's grace towards us is his patience. So let's suppose God prompts you, gives you a dream, gives you a desire, puts it in your heart, gives it in your mind, and you don't do anything. Well, he is patient. He will do it again. He will keep prompting. He'll bring someone into your life. Um, Grace is big. He prompts us. He puts his will in us. He grants us his strength. He opens up doors. He provides people for us. And as we're slow getting it, he's patient. Uh, He keeps working. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? Not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. The grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Save sinners. Among whom I am foremost of all, I was worse than anybody Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience. Perfect patience. That's God's grace. He grants us, oh, we'll give it another shot. We'll push a little harder. We'll open up another door. An example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. A major foundation stone in the doctrine of grace is the ongoing forgiveness of God when we mess up and sin in our life. So, if I attempt to do something and mess it up, am I going to hell? No. See, it's sort of like skydiving. This guy strapped to me on the back. He's got the parachute. I don't decide to jump out of the plane. He pushes me out. And when we get out, he tells me what to do. And he pulls the ripcord. And he steers the the parachute. And when we land, he puts his feet down and tells me to put mine up. He does it all. But he does say when we get into the airplane, well, if you decide you don't want to do this, then I'm not going to make you do it. So I'm going to ask you just before we get to the door, are you ready? And your response will be, I'm ready. Yes, say it out loud. Because if you don't, we're not going. And if you grab the edge of the door, for sure we're not going. <laughs> so he does it all, but he will say, are you ready? And I'll say, I'm ready. Let's jump out of this thing. And so there's a trust involved. There's an obedience involved. And uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a cool life being a believer, a follower of Jesus, because he prompts, he gives the dreams, he, he motivates, and then he gives the power when we obey. Uh, he does it all. We just go along for the ride as it were. Wow, it's pretty up here, jumping out of this airplane. It's really cool. I remember the first time I went, we're going down, and, and uh, we're bent over, and arms are up, and feet are up. And he says, see your right hand, uh, turn it, thumbs up. Keep it flat. We turned. Ah, that's Mount St. Helens. Okay, put it flat. Now put your left thumb up. Wow, look at that. We're flying. Cool. He just whispers in my ear, tells me what to do, and I did it. We just fly. Then he pulls. You want to pull the cord? No, you go ahead. I'll let you do it. And so once it pulls, then he says, you want to steer the thing? No, no, I'm okay. Well, you go ahead and steer it. <laughs> and got down on the ground. Wow, man, I'm cool. Look what I did. <clears throat> just move the lever on the backhoe. So God gives dreams. He inspires. He motivates. Uh, he puts his will in us. A great way to discover that is to write goals. A goal is a simple thing. What is in me? What are the promptings? What are the desires? 
I'm going to put it on paper. And as you move in the direction there, you start getting clarity because when you choose to follow, God clarifies. He validates. He makes things more, uh, yeah, that's it, that's it, that's it. Or it kind of goes away. I don't know about that. So I'm always adjusting. With whatever I feel at a given time, I put it down, I pursue, and then it gets stronger or gets weaker, and so I'm always adjusting, wanting to do what he's putting in me because I know that I can't fail. But if I do, I mess up. Uh, We simply confess it, and he forgives and cleanses, and we move on. Now, that's grace. I mean, you can't fail as long as you're moving, seeking, wanting, uh, you'll mess up a bunch, but confess it, whatever it was you did wrong, and then keep on moving, and you get to do so many cool things. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, forgive us of anything. So when somebody says, pressing on to do good things is legalism, you set them straight. That's not legalism. That's victory. That's adventure. That's excitement. You get to do something with your life that matters. And uh, it's not for the talented. It's not for the gifted. It's not for the educated. It's for every believer. As the Spirit of God living in them. Just move the lever. And power is released. He prompts it's God who is at work in me, both the will and to work for his good pleasure. Respond to his promptings, his leading, his dreams, and he will grant the grace all that you need to do it wonderfully well. But the world will suck that out of you. His will, his dreams, his passions, apathy, lukewarmness will make it so you don't even hear it, respond to it. So just say, Lord, I want to do something with my life that matters. And he loves that statement. He loves that statement. Present yourself to him as a living sacrifice. Say, here am I, Lord. I'm ready. Give me something to do that matters. And he will. And the cool thing is he gives you everything you need to do it well. You just go along for the ride. And you get all the credit and the reward in the judgment seat of Christ. Somebody at this seminar we did last week, they said, what's your job description? I said, well, I'm the senior pastor. I get all the glory, I do no work, and I get paid for it. <laughs> and he said, wow, that's quite a position. Yeah, same way it is with Jesus. You know, just, here I am, Lord, and he gives you something to do, and he does it all, and at the end of the thing, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, it's a great way to live, and it's grace. It's grace. Not just to get saved, but to serve and to bear much fruit with your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the grace that you've given us. We're saved by grace. We live by grace. We bear fruit by grace. We're forgiven by grace. You give us patience by grace. I am what I am by the grace of God, yet his grace did not prove vain. I labored more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. Pray that we all would be able to say that. I labored diligently, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. Thank you for that great grace to be able to make a difference in the lives of people around us. We love you very much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.